Welcome to Food and Loathing, the podcast that's so delicious you may have a hard time believing it contains zero calories, for you at least. I'm Al Mancini, the man who selflessly consumes those calories for you and describes them in detail so you can live vicariously through me while still fitting into your favorite pair of jeans. I'm joined, as always, by Rich Johnson. Hello. The only superstar producer in Las Vegas without a day club residency. (laughs) We're working on it. My guest co-host this week is known to over 300,000 Instagram followers as the Las Vegas foodie. But since those words can be used to describe half the people I know, I'm just going to call her Lindsay, if that's okay with you. Is that cool, Lindsay? That's okay with me. Thanks, Al. How are you? It's so good to see you, and thank you for coming on the show. I felt like I had to twist your arm to get you on here. You're all like, I'm too nervous to come on the show. Yeah, I'm still nervous. I'm kind of sweating. 300,000 people with your Instagram feed. Trust me, we don't have that many listeners quite yet, so you're okay. (laughs) Oh, not yet. So thank you for doing the show. Thank, thank you for you. doing the podcast. And um, man, I feel like we've been seeing a lot of you lately. We have. I know. It's like I see. I used to see you here and there, and then now I've seen you a lot more lately. It's been really nice. And thanks again for having me. Yeah, well, it's, it's great to have you and great to have your voice. As I've told you, it's, it's really important for me to keep up with the people who are out there every day checking out new restaurants not necessarily the same ones that i'm going to and you know that's why i like to follow your feed that's why i like to follow you know everything that you're doing that's why you invited me out by the way we should give props where props are due you invited me out for a good um indian indian lunch not that long ago where did we go taj palace taj palace which was awesome how'd you discover that place um how did i i don't remember oh my friend jess actually so she her and i used to um do this thing called the original cocktail club where if you were a member you would get half off your drinks or free drinks and Smeet who was the owner of Taj Palace was so accommodating so helpful just wanted to do whatever he could for us to help us out and so that's how we discovered Taj Palace but the food is so good and we had the buffet which we know there's not a lot of buffets around town no it was a great Indian buffet and the place is right on Eastern Avenue in Henderson just not too far off the 215 that crazy stretch of Eastern so I definitely recommend it and I thank you for um bring me out there yeah and thanks for meeting me that was fun that was, and that you was brought my first me, time yeah we, we spoke about it on the show you brought me some edibles i feel like i just people just bring <laughs> me edibles all the time now they think i'm like some kind of giant pothead just because be i nice. talk about them once a week but you brought me those great mint incredibles that rick moonen liked a lot so thank you for that as well oh my pleasure i know i heard i didn't get to try them either but i heard that they tasted like little mint york patties that were very easily or Andy's mints very easily poppable so yeah they were they were great where else have you been lately because this is that portion of the the episode sure. where we talk about where we've been so what's some um, and I guess I should have just looked at your feed today and I'd know right <laughs> is there a delay between when you visit a place and when you post it or yes. is it just bam 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 no there's absolutely a delay well if you look at my stories they're usually in real time so I'm posting where I'm at that day or where I'm at right now but on my feed it's definitely delayed Okay. So this last week, I have a little list because Let's not everything it. is posted yet. Um, I went to Honey Salt Brunch, which Love them. I haven't been there in so long. And working with Elizabeth Blau was so fun. So we're doing, I'm posting actually later today, a giveaway. We're giving away a brunch for six people, which is like huge. Nice. Drinks, yeah. food, everything, and an autographed um sign of their cookbook she's Very gonna cool. autograph that yeah so in there it was delicious they have a few new uh, menu items they have the stuffed french toast they have this dutch apple caramel apple pancake um i had the poutine i don't know if you've had that but poutine yeah i don't know if i've had it there is todd harrington in the kitchen he was is. He there when you were there he was there yeah that's great he was awesome yeah he um not traveling i guess they i mean they go overseas they do travel a lot over there and um i know they go up to vancouver quite a bit but they've kind of been staying in the country so it's been a good thing for us here in las vegas we get the whole blau and associates team over there yeah it's interesting i just learned all about that so that was really neat where else have you been so i went to saffron it's a vegetarian eatery i briefly mentioned them to you last time i don't know if you've been there i have not So they opened in July and their menu is almost 90% vegan. So I work with them. I help create content for them too, but they have a whole new menu coming out because you know, it's fall and Mm -hmm. November. So I would love to take you there. It's an elevated experience. It's more fancy, but it's really fun and really delish. Cool. And we went to Le Cirque. 
Well, I was just about to get to that. Do you have any other places you want to mention before we dig yeah. into the Cirque? Let me see. Valencian Gold, actually. Valencian Gold. And we just saw Jeff walking past. With yeah. his flamethrower. I feel a little behind because having a baby kind of gets me a little bit more delayed. You're there. I love that you're on the scene right when they open for their friends and family and all that. I have no life. That's pretty much it. <laughs> so this is, this is it for me for my life. So I kind of follow you a little bit, Al, so. That makes me feel so special. <laughs> so, yeah, and then we did visit Le Cirque, which was my very first time. Yeah, it's been a busy week for me, and I'm excited to, be to tell people all about everything I can remember, um, including my Resorts World staycation. But first, let's start with Le Cirque. Um, as we teased last week, Bellagio's landmark French restaurant began seating diners again on October 28th with a new menu. Um, it's... A la carte dining, no longer offered there. Instead, you could choose from a 10-course tasting menu, a six-course vegetarian menu, or if you arrive early, a three-course pre-theater menu. The new chef is um, Damien Evers. He's a veteran of Bouchon, Beverly Hills, and Gordon Ramsay in West Hollywood, as well as Michael Mina's bourbon steak. Now, before we get into what we ate, I want to share a conversation I had with Damien about how he plans to make those menus his own. How do you feel that your style fits into a legendary restaurant like the Cirque with a long history and a clientele that may date back generations, yet you're bringing new blood into it? So how do you bridge that? It's very difficult, but very fun. It's a challenge. I love challenges. Um, prime example, like the old school Daniel Seabass. You know, I like to, a broad twist on that guy. It's uh, wild turbo with potato scales, hokkaido scallop mousse, and scallion salad. It's similar to that dish, but it's a little bit more modern, you know, and a little bit more fun. Okay, so that, first of all, I'm excited about that because that dish I've had many times over the years, and it's always been done almost to a T, the way that it was designed, yeah. you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, so are there any other classic dishes that you're going to do a little bit of an update on? Uh, we Yes, uh, for the hamachi, I'm doing the amberjack, but it's I'm not using the hearts of palm, I'm using radishes, I'm using a lot of herbs and a lot of um, citrus for that, guys. A little cleaner, a little bit more simpler, but a little bit more up-to-date. Okay, so that's what the chef is looking to do there. Lindsay, we had, what, three dishes plus mm -hmm. some... Um, some appetizers, some hors d'oeuvres, hors d'oeuvres, as they say. <laughs> uh, what do you think? What, what are your first thoughts after dining at the Cirque? Was that your first time in the restaurant? It's my very first time. Very intimate space, very small. It's almost like you could walk right past it and not even know it's there. Yeah. Yeah, at the Bellagio. It's right off the casino floor, which was awesome. Uh, it was delicious. I mean, I thought the, the nudie that we had was so flavorful and so sharp and rich. Yeah, they were they were a, a Parmesan, I think, nudie, which came with a little bit of broth poured on top of it. And then they shaved the white truffles at Just the table. Yeah. And they were so light mm -hmm. in texture, but yet so sharp in flavor. Mm -hmm. And um, not in an off-putting way. Really, really good. I mean, just a, a beautiful dish. Absolutely beautiful dish. And that's when you just really know that there's a chef in the kitchen who is... Um, obsessing over every detail you know and it's really a work of art that came out to the table agree and they were like perfectly shaped it was almost i mean you know they were hand molded but they were the perfect circle <laughs> yes a perfect circle <laughs> um by the way that's your first time in the dining room so we were talking a bit and a report for folks first of all one thing that bummed me out no longer the monkey plates you don't get the show plates with the monkeys <laughs> on them which date all the way back to the original adam tahani design for that room so i was a little sad that i didn't get to see the Monkeys. Monkeys are still on the wall there. Still feels like a circus theme in there. It sure did. Yeah. What'd you think about that vibe between doing the fine, super elevated French dining with the um, the the Bellagio fountains out the window and yet this kind of playful monkeys on the wall circus tent vibe? Yeah, um, it was interesting. I mean, I thought it was beautiful and like the seating was great too. So I think it vibed really well. By the way, Lindsay let me sit with her, which meant I got to sit with all of the Instagrammers <laughs> and all the social media stars. So I, I had a great time. There was more lighting at that table for my photos. So if you don't like my photos, it's all on me. I can't say that there was not good light at that freaking table. It was definitely bright. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was beautiful. Actually, it reminded me of the, um, you know, in the, the lobby, the check-in with all the class, the Chulili, right? It was like the same colors kind of effect. So it felt like I was at the Bellagio, but yeah. also a circus. But I'm, I'm glad to see that they kept that. I mean, I didn't know that it was there before, but <laughs> I'm glad you told me it was. And I'm happy that I got to experience it. 
I love the Cirque. My memories go back there to 1996. Me, I mean, first of all, I always wanted to go there earlier in the 90s. I could never afford it. I went there during a blizzard in 1996. Lots of great stories on the New York one and the local one. Um, but what's interesting about the Cirque is they you usually never they've had some of the greatest chefs in the world in their kitchens, but their chefs have always almost taken a back seat to the Le Cirque tradition of the Cirque menu. Uh, Chef Damien really seems to want to put his own stamp on it more kind of aggressively than I've seen past and there have always been talented chefs there but he's he seems to be taking more of the reins there so that'll be interesting to see where he takes it mm-hmm. but since this is your first time that's a totally you know new experience and you're, you're going to get to experience it all without <laughs> the baggage that i bring to the table i, yeah, re- I remember when we lived in new york at the same time and worked in the same building i never went to le cirque but around 97 98 i would hear about it all the time because Cindy Adams, the legendary gossip columnist for the New York Post for all those years, would talk about going to lunch at Le Cirque every day, and you never could escape her talking about lunch, yeah. going to lunch at New Le Cirque. I mean, so the history kind of, of the Cirque's crazy. I think, like, the first time that Kissinger and Nixon ever met after, like, Watergate <laughs> was over lunch at Le Cirque. Yeah. I mean, it's like that the kind of ridiculousness place. of that place. Um, so we had a great foie gras torchon. Yes. Which had duck confit pressed into it. I, you remember, I was sitting there going, what, is, what are those chunks in there? And then it turned out it was duck confit. That was amazing. Um, and then we had a dessert that I don't even remember what the hell it was, but it was delicious. It had the green tea crumble matcha. Yeah. It was in a green tea matcha. It was some kind of salty. sorbet or ice cream. Or it was something definitely ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the torchon was delicious. That was my first real foie gras that I enjoyed. <laughs> well, there you go. So, well, we that we're gonna have to do a foie gras tour. Also, during the um during the hors d'oeuvres, they came out and they told me that they had chicken liver mousse on a Ritz cracker, and all I could think about was that scene in the beginning of The Godfather. <laughs> Part two, where he's all like, they told me canopies, canopies. I said, that ain't no canopies. That's chopped liver on a Ritz cracker. That's all I thought about when they offered me that. You got to get the, the raspy voice. Yeah, and I, I laughed and I laughed to myself. And it was uh, delicious. It was. <laughs> um, as I mentioned, I had a little staycation at Resorts World. They were kind enough to invite me in for a night at the Conrad Hotel, which is the middle level of their three hotels. Tried to visit as many restaurants and bars there as I could during my 20-ish hours. So let's dig in let me know if you've been to any of these viva by ray garcia have you been in there yet i have you have what'd you think i thought it was good okay it was good food the portions were small but i think it's supposed to be more tapa style right yeah. it's fresh and you share i thought it was good yeah. i stuck mainly to the small portions i didn't have any other really large format dishes they do have a few signatures that way uh shrimp shrimp cocktail that was great made with clamato their steak tacos i absolutely loved their costillas which is an ancho rubbed lamb ribs that was a home run get that absolutely gorgeous the lamb was perfect um even the red cabbage slaw that came with that was good i've got a thing and i like to talk about this whenever i walk in and i see something on a menu that i go that doesn't sound right to me. I don't think I'm going to like that. My first, if it's a good restaurant, my first inclination is to order that dish. Because one out of a hundred times, the chef hits it out of the ballpark and impresses me on a dish I didn't think would work. The other 99 times, I feel like an asshole saying that it didn't work because I should have known going in that I wasn't going to like it. In this case, it was the albondigas, which were made with the duck meatballs and bacon. And I, I saw that on the menu. I said, that doesn't sound right, but let me see. And it was exactly what it sounded like on the menu. So no disrespect to Ray Garcia, but um, yeah, the, otherwise, really good restaurant. Everything else is good. Everything else was good. Al, I think I have to correct you. I think it's Clamato for the shrimp. Clamato. Is oh, that yeah. not what I said? What did I say? Oh, okay. Clamato. Mm-hmm. Clamato. Ooh. Clamato, Clamato. You say Clamato, I say yeah, Clamato. Harry yeah. Seinfeld said, how often do you go around and taste something and say, Hmm, not enough clam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, I went up to Starlight on 66. Oh, beautiful. I love. Gorgeous room. Um, you know, I later in the evening went to Zook, which I lasted about 12 minutes in. Mm-hmm. The over-under was 18, so I didn't make it through the 18 <laughs> in my betting window. Uh, but for me, I'd rather go to a... And by the way, Zook's a beautiful club. If you're a nightclub person, I'm sure been. you'll love it. it. It was all done up in an eyes wide shut demonic orgy theme which are these are all things that i like demons orgies and you know whatever but (laughs) not edm so i wasn't really digging it i don't do club drugs anymore so there was no reason to really go there Uh, but for me starlight on 66 that's where you go when when zook isn't your scene it's just a beautiful view Mm -hmm. 
They had the bourbon cart. They mixed the cocktails at the table. A great little outdoor balcony where mm -hmm. you could just take in the gorgeous skyline. Um, there was also a Louis the Thirteenth cart. I didn't know how high my um, comp was going to go, so I was not about to order Louis Trey there. I've never seen a Louis Trey cart. It, it That's got to be so expensive. Yeah. Did you ask? I didn't. No, I didn't want to. That's be like that my guy. first question. They always say yeah. if you yeah. have to ask, you can't afford it, uh, yeah, and I had yeah. to ask, so I knew I couldn't afford it. How much of my mortgage payment will I? <laughs> not be making this month um you know they also they <laughs> i gotta say this is the old pervy guy in me i think yeah i couldn't help but notice that they have um telescopes so yeah. right uh, these little oh, bend over telescopes oh right so first of all everybody you know is looking in hotel windows with them but everybody in their tight pants had to bend over right in front of me to look <laughs> into the telescope so, so don't sit at to, the table in front don't of the sit too close <laughs> to it unless you want to be accused of me tooing somebody the yeah. steak tartare i saw that on your instagram so they have a cart. I didn't even know they had food. Yeah, so. they have about eight or nine small bites. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go there to make a meal out of it because there's so many other great restaurants in Resorts mm -hmm. World. But I liked that you could have a little bite yeah. while you were up there, uh, especially since I, you know, I was eating gradually over the course of my night. That's that the night. way to do it. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. In fact, I was eating so gradually that even though I was stuffed after my wife went to bed that night, I went down to Sun's Out, Bun's Out. And I, I got an egg sandwich, which I had to do. <laughs> oh. um, Great I, picture, by the way. Oh, thank you. got you. the yolk porn on there. Oh, look. I can, man, a compliment <laughs> oh, from you on one of my yeah. pictures. That's going up on the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> um, Suns Out, Buns Out is really interesting because it's clearly trying to cash in on Egg Slut's mm -hmm. fame over at mm -hmm. Cosmo, where we're recording right now, actually. Not at Egg Slut, but at Cosmo. Um, and I couldn't help but notice I ordered a pork, a, a sausage, egg, and cheese sandwich. It was pork sausage, cage-free egg, cheddar cheese, honey mustard aioli, and brioche bun. I pulled it up because I ordered that same dish always at, at the Cosmo one. And that one is turkey sausage, cage-free egg, cheddar cheese, honey mustard aioli, warm brioche bun. So there's definitely, um, it, it, and th that was not the only item I noticed on that menu that was strikingly similar. Mm. And their chairs are strikingly similar. And I look, man, if it ain't broken, don't fix it as long as nobody's infringing on any copyrights i'm fine with <laughs> giving me somebody yeah. else's version because it was really good that Have was you? immediately what i thought about on that opening night at resorts world when i saw those chairs thinking to the chairs at egg slot one floor below us that yeah same manufacturer somebody's going to get pissed off yeah <laughs> so even going down to the menu details like the, yeah. the honey mustard on the sandwich similar. there's a lot of similarities i mean the packaging kind of looks similar too but you know what we need an egg slot uh on the other end of the strip Hell yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not complaining at all. And <laughs> since I'm not an investor in either, I got no dog in that fight. <laughs> uh, I also made it back over to Other Mama, my first time in their dining room since COVID. And geez, man, those guys are strong as ever. Crushing it. Had some fantastic sushi. Um, three types of oysters. They're three bucks a piece. Those of you who are always worried about where you can get inexpensive oysters, that's the $3 range. They did fresh wasabi grated at the table. Rich, Whoa. I thought you'd appreciate that. I we would. talked I about will. wasabi in our sushi episode. Um, and even their deviled eggs are a dish that you shouldn't overlook mm. there, man. I mean, they're beautiful, creamy yolk mixture. Um, they've got the, the hot peppers on it that really cut through there. Yeah. And then the crispy oyster, which adds a little texture to it. It's a great dish. Al, I've never been there. Oh, my goodness. No, there's so yeah. many places I have to take you. This is really bad. I went there once for secretburger.com or I call it secretburger.com, <laughs> but it's secret burger with drilling. Yeah. I only went there one time and that was for that. So I didn't really get the full menu. Okay. Oh, my last <laughs> place to talk about this week was a place called Boom Bang Fine Foods and Cocktails. It opens this weekend. When you're listening to this, it should be opening tonight uh, in Henderson on Valley Verde Drive at the 215. It is a collaboration between Top Chef alum Ilya um, Abu Murad Page, and she was also Robichon's first female sous chef and has done a lot of other great things. Um, her husband, Chef Christian Page from LA's Bestia, Odium, um, Cassell's Hamburgers, and also local casino F&B pro, Tony Angati. I caught up with Angati at one of the private grand opening parties, and he explained what they're trying to create over in Henderson. My partners are chefs, um, husband and wife team, and what we wanted to do was bring kind of the excitement and the interest and the quality that people might experience on the strip or in other high-end restaurants and kind of make it more neighborhood-like. So that you can come in and enjoy properly cooked food, um, great ingredients, quality products, but in a kind of relaxing neighborhood atmosphere and not feel like, oh my God, it's going to break the bank or 
you know, it's only a specialty restaurant. We want to be kind of a couple times a week kind of place. What kind of items on the menu? I know it's not, you don't want to pigeonhole it into one specific, you know, cuisine. There's uh, great pork shank, there's um, short ribs, there's a roasted chicken that's amazing. There's several vegetarian and vegan dishes simply because I've been a vegetarian for years and if I'm going to be a partner in a restaurant, I have to be able to eat there. Um, and, uh, you know, so there's dishes like that, but great charcuterie board uh, using... Um, our uh, local friend who does uh, cheeses up the street and you know that kind of thing so we're trying to make a, a little bit of a family feel about everything we're doing okay so i am very much looking forward to going in there for a meal checking that place out um again you know las vegas is a city that we don't have a lot of really good quality um neighborhood restaurants and places that would almost go without saying in another city uh, that's why when you have a place like todd's unique dining or you know whatever we just get or even esther's kitchen we get so excited about it mm -hmm. so i'm hoping that maybe this will be the place for that little neck of the woods in henderson in the meantime rich you didn't go anywhere but you cooked at home this week i right? did a lot of cooking at home and some good stuff we did some braised short ribs a concoction of a couple of things we found on the uh, uh internet uh onions carrots celery herbs uh, all in the, the thing for about three hours my big la crusette thing wings for football having hanger steak and i'm going to use that as an excuse to talk about not our favorite english craft butcher feather blade but uh, a little love for the place that uh, is about a mile away that i've been to more often and that's the butcher shop at echo and rig they're great all it's kinds of good village. stuff and they they will get me a, a hanger steak and one other shout out larry's western meats you ever buy anything over there i have valley can't view beat larry's meat yes <laughs> valley view just north of uh, charleston it is not a fancy craft bespoke artisanal butcher shop it is a place to get meat working man's meat the only place where we could find a small pork butt which my wife is to the right I'm of just me. giggling I'm like a five <laughs> eight-year-old oh, boy over here. uh carne adobada I believe was the correct pronunciation of braised uh, New Mexico chilies. Allegedly, it is the state dish of New Mexico. And uh, so shout out to Larry, shout out to Echo and Rig, and of course, Featherblade. Cool. Thank you very much, Rick. So it's no secret that Las Vegas restaurants and kitchen culture as a whole can sometimes feel like a bit of a boys club. But up next, Rich and I sit down with three powerful women who are trying to change that. This is Food and Loathing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to Food and Loathing. I realize you haven't gone anywhere, but I've actually moved, and so has Rich Johnson, my producer. We are now at the Vegas Test Kitchen on Fremont Street. If you're a regular listener, you hear me talk about this place all the time. Um, one of the most exciting food venues in Las Vegas for my money. Uh, one thing I may not mention all the time is that it is, it is run by Jolene Menina. And um, wow, I've got so many notes on Jolene here, but let's just start with, she's been in the hospitality industry for 20 plus years uh, since starting her career at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Um, She's been the proprietor of Sloppy Joe's, a great food truck specializing in hatched chili peppers, the head of culinary for the Life of Beautiful Festival, and I'll say this all the time, during its best culinary years, or year when she was there. Um, also the head of culinary for Further Future, creator of the Back of the House Brawl, executive producer of Late Night Chef Fight Seasons 1 and 2, and the president of SecretBurger.com. And you guys could just go look all of those things up. Right now, she is crushing it at Vegas Test Kitchen. Welcome, Joe. Thank you for having me. I think one of the things I never say, and maybe I should because I always refer to you as Joe, is you are also probably one of the most influential women in the Las Vegas culinary scene. And I am here for a panel of all women. I'm going to try to allow them to do most of the talking so we don't put my mansplaining on top of it. Um, but we're here to talk about the unique challenges that women are facing and how we can maybe kind of ease some of those challenges in the culinary world. I have to admit, I'm one of these people that kind of always 
always thought I was doing the right thing. And then I started actually asking questions and realized I wasn't. And for example, I'd report on great women chefs, um, people like Nicole Brisson, we can name all of them, right? And I never wanted to say, this is an influential woman chef. I never wanted to focus on that because I felt it was condescending. I felt, why should I even mention their gender? Why don't I just write about them? Until I started writing about them and finally just decided to do this brilliant thing, which was ask, would you guys like me to talk about the things because I always felt that if I bring up what are the challenges women face that it was going to be the eye roll and it was going to be oh my god this is all I ever get asked nobody ever asked about my food um, what I learned was that no most women I ask that question of say we want to talk about the unique challenges that are facing us in the culinary world and these are things that need to be discussed so Al stop deciding what you think we need to talk about and let us talk about it. So to help me in that conversation, I'm also joined by Elizabeth Blau, one of the co-founders of the Women's Hospitality Institute. She's known to most of Initiative. us. Initiative. See, I'm going <laughs> to let that my flub go there. It's the Women's Hospitality Initiative. My apologies. And um, she's. We will be an institute one day. Al. <laughs> right now we are initiative. Or we just be institutionalized <laughs> that one day. Too. <laughs> Elizabeth, you're known to most Las Vegans as the creator of some of our favorite restaurants on and off the strip from Carrie Simon's legendary Hard Rock and Palms Place spots through Summerlin's Honey Salt, Buddy V's in the Venetian and Palazzo. Uh, but your impact on the way we eat in Las Vegas dates back to Bellagio, where you curated the restaurant collection for its opening, if I'm getting that, your mm -hmm. role correct. Mm -hmm. um, you were also instrumental, I believe, in creating the Win and Encore restaurant programs. Yes. Okay, don't, don't want to miscredit you anywhere. And then you have projects, Blau and Associates has projects around the world for from renovating New York's Rainbow Room to providing food for a wonderful Vancouver casino. I mean, you're all over the place. What did I miss, Elizabeth? I think you, uh, you've you nailed it. Thank you for that introduction. And all of these intros are, are so important because they demonstrate why I need to be listening to you and nobody needs to be listening to me. Finally, you're, you're introducing me to somebody new today, which is Dr. Lisa Kane, an assistant professor in the Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at the Florida International University. Did I get that right, doctor? You did. I was actually just promoted to associate professor. Okay. Well, then, thank you for correcting that. Um, and I've been out of academia for so long, I don't even know what the, the difference is, but congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, you teach undergraduate and graduate level hospitality management courses, including From the Classroom to the Boardroom, Leadership for Women in Hospitality, which is a leadership course developed in cooperation with the Women's Hospitality Initiative and the Culinary Institute of America. Um, your, your resume goes on and on, 37 peer-reviewed manuscripts, trade articles, um, and you've published works in the areas of work-life balance, substance abuse among hospitality workers, gender issues, technology, loyalty. I mean, these are all things that are, are finally maybe being focused, have a spotlight on them as we really explore kitchen culture and careers in this business. So, Doctor, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you so much for having me. And I agree with you. I think that the more we know, the more we can do better um, and the more that we can create parity in the industry for, for everyone. I, I was introduced to the WHI at the same time a lot of people were. Um, the Vegas premiere of the film A Fine Line which was right before COVID happened. And that, that was your official launch party. And that movie had some really incredible statistics in it. Um, the one that stuck out and that I have in my notes, while women constitute over half of the students in culinary schools today, they account for less than 7% of executive chefs and restaurant owners. Is that stat still a valid stat? Not only is it a valid stat, but actually, um Across the three institutions that I currently teach at, uh, at San Diego State University, 83% of their student body population in the hospitality program are female. And if you look at their events program, specifically the events major within the hospitality um, major, it's 95% female. Uh, at UNLV, which is the number one ranked hospitality program in the country, there are 57% female. And then at FIU, which is the largest hospitality program in the country, we have 70% women in our program. So. so when you look at this appalling figure, there's no other word for it, that only less than 7% of executive chefs and restaurant owners are women. There's no bullshit excuse, though. They just don't want to do the jobs. or They're just not interested in the field. I mean, there's a problem somewhere. And 
I, mean, I would assume this should bother everybody. We all have women in our lives that we love and we want them to have every opportunity. But just as foodies, I want to know why I'm not hearing from them, why I'm not getting their dishes, why I'm not hearing their voices. It's lowering the opportunities. So let's just throw it out there right now. Is there one big problem is it a lack of opportunity is it is it sexism is it people that just don't like women in the kitchen um guys i i think there's so many and you know it would be hard to just pick one area you've you've named so many but what we decided uh when mary Choi kelly and jolene and i launched this initiative was that our first focus was going to be on education we read a fascinating document that was done by the McKinsey Institute and the Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In Foundation about this phenomenon called the broken rung. No one had heard about that. We had always heard about the glass ceiling. And so when we heard about the broken rung, that what was actually happening was that men and women were entering the workforce in equal numbers, but women were falling behind in that entry-level job for a management position, not, you know, you can't even worry about a glass ceiling if you're falling behind in that entry level. And so that's why we decided our first focus was going to be on education. And that's where we found this secret weapon rock star in, in Dr. Kane, because she has this extraordinary ability to connect with these young people. She was already teaching online before the pandemic. It may seem like a subtle difference between teaching live in a classroom and teaching online, but it's not. The technology, the understanding, the sensitivity, and being able to connect with students via computer, it doesn't matter whether it's elementary school, secondary school, it is such a unique challenge. And so, um, Lisa has been able to, you know, really help us expand this program. And as she said, we are we are now teaching in at, at four universities, and so it's incredibly exciting because we've got to do something at this base education level to make change. And so whether it's and I'll let Lisa talk more about the the, the class, but that's where we've identified really the most glaring. Yeah, I read that article on the, the broken rung, a couple articles on that phenomenon that you sent me when I was covering the WHI launch. And I think that it, it, it's so important that we really internalize, we talk about what that means. Because I hear a lot of people say like, why do we need quotas? Why do we have to try to find, maybe there are no qualified women for the top positions, right? That, that, that's an excuse that people have made for not hiring certain groups of people for a long ass time. Um, but the, the, what you're saying is, okay, well, yeah, maybe there aren't enough qualified people to hire somebody, and that's what we need to do. We need to get them qualified because we have failed them at the lower level. At the entry level is where we're failing the women so that when you then want to turn around and find somebody who's ready to take on these higher positions, it's a slightly more difficult search, and we should make it so that there are more people who are ready to assume that. Am I understanding that theory, that, that train yes. of thought properly? Yes, and the most important thing is that that our initiative is about men and women working together. It might be called the Women's Hospitality Initiative, but it's about collaboration, about cooperation. It's about male allies. It's about mentorship. It's about breaking a chain that is not working and providing a solution. Instead of just trying to find the problem, we're, we're actually bringing forth a solution. So, Doctor, what are the solutions that people in the hospitality industry and customers in the hospitality industry of the hospitality industry need to be aware of? What, what, what can they do to make changes that are going to help even this playing field? Well, I think to Elizabeth's point, it's really important to have an awareness, to learn, to know about these issues. So that's the first step. If you don't know they exist, they may just be outside of your, your peripheral vision. And, and because you're not aware of them, it, it's just outside of your realm of understanding. Once you know that they exist, then you can start to find where they happen and then more importantly, why they happen. So we actually just had the pleasure of having Corrine Clement, who runs the DEI Institute out here. And, and she talks about our implicit biases and what implicit biases are. They are subconscious. We are not aware we have them. And Harvard and several other institutions have done decades of studies on these to help try and bring them to light so that we, we can become aware of these implicit biases. And once we're aware of them, we can take steps against them. So we talk about gender bias, right? This is the big glaring one on, on today's topic, which is... Um, 
we have a phenomenon and it happens to everybody. It's called the similarity attraction paradigm. So we like people who are like us. So if you have a boys club in the kitchen, if you have this brigade system and it's it's all men and it's the boys, when you're looking to bring somebody up in the ranks, it's much more comfortable to hire somebody who's like you, who you know is going to get along with everybody because they're not challenging any status quos that exist. And so it is often more likely that if you have a very largely male-based um, kitchen culture, you're probably going to hire and then bring up through the ranks a man versus a woman. And so being aware that we do that and then trying to break that mold and say, let's look at these two individuals who are up for the promotion based on their, their qualifications solely and not necessarily based or, or based off the, their potential, right? How much can they grow? How hungry are they for this job? And bringing them up and knowing that, okay, I know this is a very largely male-based culture. We need to fix that. So let's see who our qualified women are and let's bring them up through the ranks. Yeah, th- those inherent biases, I think, are some, some people get really defensive about that, right? Like if you point out to somebody they have an infer- inherent bias, they feel like they've got to apologize and they have to whip themselves and flop. And I've never looked at it that way. I've been like, okay, maybe I'm just going to learn from that and be less of an asshole in the future, right? But not, you know, like whatever. We, we can only, we know what we know. We know how we were born. And, you know, I think you point something out. We tend to hire and want to work with people who share our experiences. So if parents have kids in the same nursery school, maybe they're going to hire people that also have kids in that nursery school. If people who don't have kids may be at a disadvantage there. Um, If people make their friends on the golf course, they're going to hire other people who golf, right? I mean, I was told that growing up, learn to golf, you'll get better jobs, right? So those things are just kind of ingrained in us. And the minute you realize how bullshit it is, maybe you can stop doing it, right? Absolutely. Joe, as somebody who has really made your way from from a server in the restaurant industry to an entrepreneur and going off into the entertainment world, at what moments did you feel the most like, okay, wow, people just aren't getting it because I'm not one of the boys? I mean, it was really just when I was in the restaurant, because after that, I broke away and did, you know, what I wanted to do for myself, you know, so that period of time, it wasn't necessary. Well, partly uh, when I was still in New Orleans, because there was only a handful of women that worked in that whole restaurant, because back in the day, they weren't allowed to have women work there. Ella Breton literally came up to me one time. It was like, thank you for being here. Is that Commander's Palace? Mm -hmm. She's like, my husband wouldn't allow me to hire women back in the day and um, I started underneath one of the first captains that was working there and that's kind of also opened my eyes to it to understand what was going on around me and then being in the restaurant in Vegas same thing as so you bring up the boys club you could see all the managers and the GMs and the um, director of operations were all men mm-hmm. obviously molding each each person to bring them into their you know club yeah but um, really just there at one point I just wanted to do my own thing and just split off and then after that it was keeping my head down really and just working really hard and keep myself out of the the mix. I've heard women entrepreneurs and Elizabeth, maybe you or Joe could speak to this for me saying it's just, it's harder to get financing. It's harder to get loans. It's harder to find investors, all of that kind of stuff for a woman, for whatever reason. Have you two encountered that? Um, you know, no, I, I haven't, but I, I think that Jolene and I take a, you know, a unique approach to things and, um, you know, no is not really something in, in our vocabulary. And so I, I think that, you know, the the like attractions can also, you know, work in, into our favor. And so I think pretty much the first time Jolene and I met when she was doing the Backyard Brawl, we were like, yeah, this is a chick I can work with. And, you know, and, and so whenever I have some kind of cool entrepreneurial idea, you know, I, I, I reach out to, to Jolene and I'm like, are you interested? And, you know, usually before one of us is pitching something, we're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. If you're doing it, you know, I'm doing it. But yeah, the fact is, is that it's out there. I mean, whether or not we experience it, it personally, but I truly believe in, you know, when I guest lecture and in, in Dr. Kane's classes that like we just start with the basics, you know, I mean, I give, you know, really granular suggestions, whether it's, you know, following up, um, you know, asking for a mentor, you know, being relentless, not taking, you know, no for an answer. I mean, there's so many things that women as a generality do that is very self-deprecating that men don't do. And, you know, 
there was this like crazy thing that we read about, about, you know, kids in, in elementary school and the teacher asked the question and you may remember this and the boys are like, ooh, 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 you know, they, she hasn't even asked the full question and their hands are up and they found that, you know, that the young girls would not even consider raising their hand unless they were sure they knew the answer. And if these are the kind of, you know, things that are formulized in the personality of young girls at such a young age, no one is teaching them, you know, that per se. It's something that, you know, has, has come up through the ages that, you know, we, we, we just have to, you know, to ask these things. And, and I'll give you a counter example. I was talking to um, a woman who does headhunting for board positions. And when I was speaking to her, she gave me this example of a guy who runs a hedge fund. And every time he buys a company, he gets 20 to 30 emails or calls saying, hey, I heard you bought this company. I'm interested in a board position. Would you care to guess exactly how many of those people that reach out are women? It's exactly zero. So you only had to tell me that once. I mean, you know, you don't have to repeat it many times. I just needed to hear that story. And believe me, everyone I meet now, I'm like, oh, I'm interested in a board position. And they're like, you know, I run a daycare center. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, sometimes it's just that simple information. And so I think having a course like this is so groundbreaking and having somebody like Dr. Kane that teaches it and brings in this roster of women and, you know, soon to be male entrepreneurs to talk to these young students. And the great thing is, is that some of these classes are attracting young men. I think that they're actually brilliant, you know, and um, they, they contribute a lot to the class as well. Your example of, of young girls not wanting to raise their hand unless they know the answer. I think you and I spoke too that that this tends to carry over into whether someone will send a resume for a job if they're 80 oh. percent qual if they meet 80 percent of the qualifications or so yeah i don't know please you tell me like I, that, that I mean, men are, are always sending the resume whether they're qualified or not we're right? looking for a director position at, at blau and associates now and sometimes i'm just like I, I, did you read the job description and really 90 percent of those are men who are just saying to themselves hey, i'm gonna go for it and really the resumes of of women you know they want to make sure they can check off every single box before they're going to put themselves out there and so it's 100% absolutely not a phenomenon a a reality of 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 what we see so doctor talk about this course where it's available and what the reaction's been so far Uh, so so far it is being taught at florida international university It's being taught at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, at San Diego State University, and at the Culinary Institute of America. And uh, the reactions from the students have just been phenomenal. Um, Every week, I actually gauge guest speaker feedback on every single speaker, and I ask questions. Was this meaningful to you? Was it valuable to you? And in addition to giving them a ranking where they say strongly agree to strongly disagree, um, they also give anecdotal feedback as well. And it's almost entirely strongly agree that it was a valuable lesson, that it impacted them personally, that it influenced decisions they plan to make going forward. Um, And it's just, it's a really powerful course. We also gauge from beginning to end, we do a pre-assessment and a post-assessment post-assessment, and they learn such important topics as um, implicit biases and um, emotional intelligence, uh, and and they aren't really aware of what these terms are before the class starts, and then they feel like they really have a great grasp on what these mean and why they're important and how they're going to influence their lives going forward at the end of the course. So that's really exciting to see in, you know, in a four-month class that they've gone from knowing very little about a topic to really feeling empowered like they can take on this topic when they get into industry. So, Is your goal to have this introduced in more hospitality schools across the country? Absolutely. And, and the reason I'm asking is, so if, if people have a daughter or a son, because I honestly believe this is a course that should be taught, should be taken by anybody who wants a career in the industry, they need to understand the relationships, but very specifically for people who have a daughter or a niece or who, a sister who wants to go into hospitality, and let's say they're going to a school that doesn't offer it, they should call up the dean and tell them to get, get on the phone with the CIA and you guys? Absolutely, they should. And I agree with you. I think that it's equally important for men to take the class as it is for women to take the class because 
currently it is a male dominated industry. So it, it makes it a lot easier when there is a general blanket awareness of the issues at hand. You can have more people in your corner and saying, you know what, you know, we've passed this person up three times and they really do meet the qualifications. And I'm not sure why we're passing them up. So let's have the conversation with them and let's let's be more conscious of who we're of who we're promoting and when we're promoting or who we're hiring and, and how. And I think the one thing, Al, is that, you know, having these speakers come in and also sharing their stories is so invaluable. I mean, to men or women in hearing these entrepreneurial or these corporate journeys that the women have taken. And the one thing that we learned is, is that um, it's so important to make sure that there are women in their 20s or 30s because, you know, some of the stories of, of women that are closer to, let's say, my age, you know, is that it's harder for these young women to understand, okay, well, how do I get from point A to point B? And so we've definitely, you know, included some younger entrepreneurs um, into the, the program so that they can you know, really see at all different levels, people that have gone into finance, that have gone into to marketing, my story, Jolene's story. I mean, they're all so, so different. And so if there are little bits and pieces that these young women can associate with, because, oh, you know, my parents wanted me to go to law school or medical school, or, oh, you know, I had this problem with my, you know, my first boss or my first job or, you know, you know, I got passed over five times, you know, and, and, and this woman is, you know, is, is sharing that the same thing happened to, to her. It's really kind of helpful for these, these students to, you know, really kind of put it into a real life perspective as well as the educational foundation that, um, of these theories that, that Dr. Kane is teaching. After the um, the WHI launch and that movie, that film premiere, which the Las Vegas premiere, which I watched, you did a, a little panel discussion. Um, Valerie James, the director, was joined by Mary Sue Milliken, Lorena Garcia, Jennifer Murphy, um, Catherine Miller, just you know some tremendous people up there, and they were discussing the challenges women face. I was going over my own notes from covering that today before I came in here, and the things I noticed were the topics that they were really concerned with were the need for paid family leave, the importance of voting. Um, stressing to women that they shouldn't be afraid to fail. Those, those were three of the big takeaways that were in my notes from that night. Um, have, has there been any change at all in us as a culture and how we deal with things like paid family leave over the past few years in that time? And also in people's attitude towards being willing to fail because it's so funny you see like the um the tech bros right out in silicon valley celebrating failure that's a big thing for them that's a big thing that certain aspects of our society are told like don't worry about failing and yet i i'm told that you know i, I learned from that discussion that that's a big problem that women are afraid to take a chance and fail i will say that through my through my little career here and starting a business um with not having full ed education on starting a business and just sort of doing it on my own um, and then jumping into another and and then launch another all because I was really passionate about these businesses and I felt it was leading me up to one next step to where I wanted to be um, and they weren't all perfect so my food truck I sold within a year and a half people could look at that as a failure I looked at it as a major success for myself because I took that year to take the first step, expose myself, be vulnerable, and do something I was not, you know, trained to do. And then the same thing with starting Urban Seed and learning about farming, but knowing that this was something that was needed for our community, but not really having a full understanding of growing food aeroponically, but my knowledge with dealing with the chefs, but also, you know, it did not work out. We couldn't get the funding we needed, but I didn't look at that as a failure. I looked at that as a success because someone will come behind us and take on what we started and it's something that the community needs and so forth and so on, right? So I look at those things. I look at everything as, I, I, don't, I don't go out and celebrate like they maybe do in Silicon Valley <laughs> and like, oh my gosh. But I look at everything that I've done as one step forward to the next thing, the next place that I wanna be. And that's the unique part about our industry is that you don't need a degree. You need to get out, roll up your sleeves and do it. And that's why Jolene is such an incredible example of just the tenacity to do one thing, try something else and do it again. But to go back to your original question, 
we all galvanized after this incredible launch and premiere. And by the way, I'm very impressed that you still have your notes from from that. So <laughs> we, we give you a, a an A plus for that. Um, but remember, we had to pivot and save the whole industry. Yeah. Um, so and failed, you're talking because COVID happened because of which COVID and the everything. pandemic and shutting down the city and and then you know. Okay, so we got a break from the government, but then the supply chain collapsed and the, you know, the, the labor market, you know, is, is a total disaster. So let's see how many, you know, things you can continue. So failure is not something to, to celebrate in the restaurant industry. Failure is family-run businesses, you know, closing their doors forever. You know, first-generation immigrants who, you know, have opened up, you know, a, a business with their life savings and, and losing it. So failure in the restaurant industry... Um, in in a non-pandemic world, you know, can be a learning experience. But what we've seen and the number of, of places that have closed forever and the, the outreach that we got for people, you know, running small sandwich shops or bakeries, um, you know, who, who didn't have teams of lawyers and accountants to try and figure out this myriad of complexity that the government, you know, subsidization programs put in front of us I mean it was utterly ridiculous I mean if you didn't have you know that kind of help and so you know we really just had to pivot and figure out you know how to help people and how to help this industry in Las Vegas survive we had to kind of put you know the 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 hospitality initiative on hold but we were incredibly proud that even despite all of this calamity you know that 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 people like Dr. Kane were able to you know get the course launched and expand the course to you know to include four of the top schools in the in the in the country and be able to provide you know f this education platform and so you know we have high hopes of more things happening but you know really that was the big challenge of of, of saving <laughs> all of the industry not just the the, the women in the industry. Before we wrap, um, one of the, those things from my notes that was mentioned by that panel was paid family leave was an important thing. Uh, right around that time, I had interviewed Jose Andres and you were doing what you were doing and I spoke to him and out of the blue, without me prompting him, he said, you know what? One of the things I think we could do to also empower women is to give men paid family leave so that the, the, it can be an evenly distributed thing of, of taking care of the children and it doesn't have to be a decision of who leaves the workforce. And I'm curious whether whether you guys think that he was onto something there. <laughs> I mean, there are companies that are absolutely doing that. And, you know, you look to Canada and Europe and, you know, they're way ahead of, of the game. I mean, we could have a whole session just talking about all of child care. And, you know, I mean, there are places like the Venetian that offer incredible programs, but those are the exception, not the the norm. So... So we are running low on time. I want to thank you all for being here. But very quickly, for, for young women who want to go into the culinary field, a best piece of advice that it, from each of you, and then I'm going to let it go at that. Joe, as a successful woman in culinary? I think if you, are, you have the passion, it's something you want to do, you should absolutely go for it. And I think you can look towards mentors all around you, women and men. Go in and talk to the restaurant owners. People come to me all the time just to, to, to see how they can be a part of even just this. So getting out there and asking questions and introducing yourself. Cool. Elizabeth? The worst excuse that I hear for people saying what this problem is about is that, you know, that, that women are afraid of the hard work and, and are, um, you know, you know, it's hot in the kitchen and, you know, it's too hard of a job for women. I mean, I think that is a disgraceful excuse. And I think, um, ladies have tenacity, um, because, you know, anyone who has birthed or raised a child or, I, I mean, you know, there, there is no tenacity like that. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's out there in, in all of us. And so I, I would say that that's really um, the most important trait that I would stress. Thank you. And doctor? I would say to view every challenge as an opportunity uh, for learning and as as a, as a pivot point, right? We've seen the pandemic as the greatest pivot point in our lifetime so far, and hopefully it stays that way. Um, but there isn't anything that you can't overcome. And to Jolene's point, find a mentor, be it male or female, who can guide you and, and help you get through those challenges and help you uh, refocus them as opportunities to learn and grow. 
cool. And my only advice to the old men out there like myself is just to shut the hell up for a little while and listen to other people speak. I am going to leave it at that. Thank you all for your time today. This is Food and Loathing. I guess that means we're back. Rich has gone deep into the sound effects library for, um, what is that from like back when Peter Parker was working at the Daily yeah, Bugle, that teletype like that. The, the M95 <laughs> teletype. You were probably not around radio stations that had these in the, all the way up to like the early 70s. In college we had one. We get our yeah. AP wire at college yeah. radio on that. But, you know, our, our favorite radio station in New York, 1010 Winds, was using this underneath them until about two years ago. <gasps> and those machines were done 50 years ago yeah long gone yeah yeah but thanks for the blast from the past (laughs) in the news this week let's keep to our theme of powerful women in the local restaurant biz with news on a few of those first up carla pellegrino a powerhouse on every level and if you know her you know what i mean she is um a force to be reckoned with and by the time you hear this podcast you'll once again be able to taste her spin on italian cuisine here in our valley as we record this doe house is set to open its doors on rainbow boulevard on thursday november 4th featuring Carla's recipes on its menu. The restaurant, by the way, is owned by Marina and Axenia Kobzak, a pair of 28- and 29-year-old sisters from Moldova, which I had to look up to find out that's between the Ukraine and Romania. I did not know where Moldova was. Yeah, do you know where Ukraine and Romania are? Well, yeah, they're next to Moldova. Oh, okay. Problem solved. Um, Also, you can also expect Gina Marinelli's new downtown Summerlin Steakhouse, Harlow, to be open and serving customers by the time you hear this. I was invited to a friends and family night there last weekend, but I was busy at Resorts World, then at a Golden Knights game, uh, hoping to get in there this weekend myself. So listen next week for a report on that and whether Rich is able to um, shoehorn his way in on that because he's been dropping hints on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised I invited you back. After I crashed their their pre-opening, after I just walked in the door. Yeah, I am too. But their their front of the house guy, Ivo, is a great guy. I know him from the Cirque for many, many years. We walked in there there, uh, in the like 11 o'clock in the morning uh, a few days ago when there was still still a construction shack out front and just peeking in the room. I said, I could be a regular at this bar. Oh, nice. It should be good. It's an old Andiron space, right? Yes. That bar is really pretty. Well, they've totally renovated the bar. Moved it over to the other side. Um, They made it a little bigger and not quite as separated. It opens up into the dining room. Oh, how exciting. Yes. Can't wait to hear your review. Quick update on the uh, Snappo Razzle hot dogs. Did I get that right? Snappo Razzo. Razzo. Ralph Perazzo. Uh, they were Brent. fantastic. Great smoke, snap, uh, heating Rick Moonen's uh, instruction. I did them in hot water, mm-hmm. clean water, not the usual New York dirty water mm-hmm. dog. I'm proud to say we had some hot dog buns in the freezer. It uh, came back to life. Mustard, ketchup, onions, and sweet relish, and it was a, a, a great meal. Follow up on my uh, fast food chicken review of a few weeks ago. I hit Hattie B's Hot Chicken, which is right below us here in the Cosmopolitan, the Block 16 food hall. I had the hot sauce version, which is number three of five in terms of heat. And it was very good, but I did notice this to push back on your uh, giving me grief about KFC. The, the completed chicken is sitting in the same kind of hoppers you would find at, a, at KFC or Popeye's. It's not fried to order, which it really can't be because it's a fast food sort of thing. So the breast can be kind of dry. So you're basically trying to come up with an excuse to point at a place I like to justify your love of KFC? Yes. You've read me like a, <laughs> me like a little tiny pamphlet. For, okay, for a then. You've heard cool. I'm, I'm sorry, Rich. Can I just interrupt yeah. you? Have you had the new fried chicken sandwich from KFC? No. I like bones. I like actual pieces of chicken. Okay, but if you like KFC, I think you should give it a try. Right. I haven't tried it. I because heard it's great. Oh, okay. I heard because it's good. you asked me to, I will. Okay, do it. good. <laughs> yeah, you got to twist this <laughs> arm. Right. Uh, so, talking KFC. a little bit about fa- uh, sit down fried chicken, uh, one of the best I've had in the last few months is Yardbird over at the Venetian. And uh, you, you get the knife and fork out for that because when it comes to you, it's right out of the oil and you can't touch it, much less eat it so you got to open it up and vent it out a little bit but boy that's it, good i confess i have not been to blue ribbon also here in the cosmopolitan i will remedy that very soon crack shack part of the richard blaze empire cooks a nice bird i'm not a big fan of the uh, the crack spice combination i found it a little harsh and there is no truth. as the moldy peaches once said who's got the crack yes and 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 i, I try my best to get over the whole idea of naming your restaurant chain after a highly addictive criminal drug, but that's just me. There's no truth of the rumor that following on the theme, Richard Blaze will be opening 
oxy oysters, fentanyl fish, and nicotine nuggets. Okay. Back to you. Speaking of non-addictive, no longer <laughs> criminal drugs, before we get to our edibles report, I have some pretty cool edibles news. High Times Magazine, God bless them, they've got a history. <laughs> They're looking for help choosing the winners of this year's Cannabis Cup Nevada, and they are putting together goodie bags to assist in the process. I spoke to the magazine's director of competitions, and damn, that's a great job, Mark Kazanick, about some judges' kits with samples of all the nominees that are available at local dispensaries. So this is the Cannabis Cup Nevada, so it is all licensed brands in Nevada, large and small, new and old, who are submitting products into a bunch of different categories. And we package those up into these judge kits, which are backpacks filled with product within that category for judges to purchase, take home, and judge from the comfort of their own home over the course of 60 days, rating each product. Depending on the category, there's different criteria, but taste, smell, burnability, effects, how it looks, everything about it in a detailed comment section so people can just go wild on what they saw, how they experienced it, what they did after you know indulging in the product and all that information. And we take all those scores and then we tally them up so we announce the top ranking products, one through three, for each of the categories that we have within this competition. Okay, so I only deal with um, edibles and drinkables on my show. So tell me, is there a package for edibles and drinkables and what's in it? Yep. So we have two edibles categories. We have the edible gummies category, which is all gummies, different fruit flavors, etc. We have about 19 uh, of those samples and we're selling that kit for $180, which if you know cannabis and you know how much edibles cost, it is a great deal on edibles. And then we have an edibles non-gummies category, which is one of the more well-versed wide variety of products. So in front of us, we have espresso caramels. We have Rice Krispie treats. We have THC infused lavender lemonade. We have tink which are you know just the oil droplets that put uh, that you put under your tongue and it's perfect for you know summer for the day summer for night we have chocolate bars we have uh something that might be similar to gummies but more so like chews or fruit gems um so we got a lot of different different stuff in this edible non-gummies category including these beautiful uh Hervé, if i'm pronouncing it correctly macaroons which are beautifully packaged yeah i've uh, had those and i like those a lot by the way yeah so how much is this package also 180 i believe as well and this one has 20 items so you know we just we take a lot of products we look at the the traditional market value of it and then we discount it heavily so that people it's a no-brainer purchase you know if you're if you're a cannabis connoisseur and you and especially, you know, we're talking about edibles, but and you don't want combustibles, you don't want to smoke, you don't want to vape. This is the best way to try out a bunch of different products that might suit your needs and for you to judge and, and help crown the best of Nevada. How long are these available and where are they available? So these are available now and they are essentially available until sold out. Typically, these will sell out very quickly. So if you're hearing this now, call the dispensaries that you see on CannabisCup.com. We got 16 dispensaries across the state of Nevada, mostly in Las Vegas. We got a couple in Reno and that includes Exhale, which is one of our biggest partners. So big, big shout out to Exhale. They have taken on this behemoth process of, of building the kits with us and taking all the product. They are one of our exclusive retail partners, as well as Cookies, as well as Hardeen, Essence and uh, Zen Leaf, a whole uh, myriad of, of 16 different retailers. So go out, get your kit, call ahead of time, make sure they're not sold out for the category that you want. That's the news. If you want to be a cannabis cup judge and try some edibles and get them all in one big giant Santa's goodie bag of edibles. <laughs> Actually, you need to buy two. You need to buy the gummies and the non-gummy bag. But anyway, good luck with that. Lindsay, you piped up. You have a fried chicken recommendation for Rick. Other than yes. the um, KFC sandwich. What's that? This is Q Bistro. Um, it's in uh, Chinatown. So it's Korean fried chicken, KFC. Yeah. She go this woman goes to Korea, the owner, yeah. three times a year to perfect this recipe. It's double battered. It's crispy. It's oh. authentic. It's fried chicken like you've never had. Okay. So we're adding that to Rich's list. I love Might Korea. be too good for him, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> Open late, too. Probably is. So this is normally where we do our edibles report. Um, we keep it short. When we're recording right now, the... the folks at Haleo were kind enough to let us use their space. We were in here recording another segment. We're here for this segment as well. Um, I don't bring edibles into casinos because I don't want anyone losing their gaming license or whatever <laughs> over me. But I did um, this week, I tried something called Dreamland Cubes. These are chocolate peanut butter cubes. I got them at my local Essence. They came four to a pack for $12. So three bucks a pop. 
these things, and I dropped some off for Lindsay, even though I wasn't sure if you were going to try them with me. But um, so we don't have them in front of us right now. But Jesus Christ, these things are good. Um, in beautiful, creamy, quality peanut butter in the middle. Great chocolate on the outside, I thought, for a, for a $3 piece of chocolate. I mean, it may not be the super highest end, but damn good. Um, I didn't taste any wheat on them whatsoever when I had them straight out of the thing. I did throw them in the freezer because I'm one of those guys that likes to freeze his chocolate. Oh, that butter. sounds so good. I tasted oh. the weed a bit more out of the freezer. So I think I like them better without that. I don't know. Maybe it was just something psychological, but I thought they were really good. They come in 10 milligram doses. They're individually wrapped. They're not great for microdosing. You're not going to be able to take because they're, they're stuffed with peanut butter. You're not really going to tear off a, you know, a quarter of a piece, but you could bite off a little bit. And it's not the best for microdosing but if you want 10 milligram doses pretty fantastic or you could bite off half of one and give it to somebody you love who doesn't mind having your saliva <laughs> Lindsay, did you get to try them so i didn't try them on i'm on a break from edibles good for you thank you but my husband did and he actually cut it in half with a knife which okay. is funny and and actually he is my husband reminds me a lot of rich where where he <laughs> No offense. <laughs> well, you haven't even said what it is <laughs> yet, and you're telling me I'm going to be upset. Oh, thank he you loves very much. Fast food at BJ's and chain restaurants, and I love yeah. a good chain restaurant too. But he's not exactly adventurous with the food. Okay. Foie gras is not in his palate. But anyway, <laughs> he uh, said that the THC was very prominent when he first ate it, and then it went away. So he could taste the weed in it right away. Okay. He said, but then it went away after he finished it. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I I found them when I was eating them straight out of the box. I really didn't taste a big heavy weed taste. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I had just smoked something, or maybe somebody <laughs> was just smoking around me. I don't know because for me it was not that prominent. Certainly not as much as you get it in baked goods. Yeah, but again, that's what he said. Yeah. When I tried it again uh, with the frozen ones, I did taste it a little bit. So. He There's said it was deal. good. He said it was less than he's had it before, but it also didn't kick in for an hour and a half, which is a lot longer. But he also Whoa. had half a dose. Yeah. He also had five, not ten. And, uh, you know, it's always really hard for me to judge, you know, what the effects are going right. to be on various people. We eat? all have our own metabolisms and we have all eaten different things. Um, but cool. Well, I'm glad, glad your husband liked it. And he if will he wants, keep maybe he'll it. save you one for when, <laughs> if he hasn't already eaten all four of them, save you one for when you're off your cleanse. Thank you. I'm going to throw them in the freezer. So cool. <laughs> that is it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thanks to all of our guests, starting with Lindsay. Lindsay, remind me of your last name. How did I forget Stuart. your last name? Stuart. Lindsay I that. Stewart. Oh, I thought that was some was sort of anonymous thing to keep her out of it. <laughs> Lindsay no, no. Stewart, the Vegas foodie. We could follow you on Instagram at the Vegas foodie. The Las Vegas foodie. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. I told her to kick me under the table when I got shit wrong. When I'm not looking at my notes, I mess up. (laughs) So it's the Las Vegas foodie, foodie at the Las Vegas foodie. Please, she she has beautiful pictures, and she's gonna have me making an ass of myself. I'm sure from this there soon. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Tell us, tell your. Here, I'll pick up on that one too. See, it's 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 uh, catch. My incompetence is infectious. Here you go. Please tell a friend about food and loathing. Say nice things about us, especially on Apple Podcast comments. But we do want your feedback, your likes, your retweets. Find everything you need to know about doing all that at Al's website, theneonmohawk.com. See, I did that in one take. Thank you. And reach us directly by email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. With producer Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini, reminding you to stay hungry. Stay hungry.